Well, today we are picking up our Advent series again. And one of the things that I love about Advent is it is this reminder and this call to us to just pause and take a big, deep, big, deep breath and to relax a little bit. And this Advent series, we are exploring the names of Jesus. We're exploring the titles of Jesus. We are exploring who is this Jesus that we worship. Who is this baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas? And we are using it as an opportunity to prepare our hearts, to prepare ourselves for Christmas. And so as I share today, you know, the Christmas story is one that you have probably heard before. It is one that you have probably heard these names of Jesus shared before. And yet I want to invite you to reflect today, which of these truths do you need to hear fresh? Which of these truths do you just need to ask God, hey, God, I need you to just reveal this to me fresh? But also thinking about the fact that at Christmas we are carriers of this message. And so maybe today there is one of these truths, one of these ideas that you're like, you know what? I know someone who needs to hear this. And I want to invite you to be courageous and to take the opportunity to share that truth with somebody else this season. And so I'm going to start off by reading the same passage that we've just heard in our uh, Indigenous reading. It's Matthew 1, 18 to 24. And this is from the NIV. And it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, in case you haven't guessed from the fact that I highlighted part of that in green, the name or title of Jesus that we're looking at today is Emmanuel, God with us. This is one of those really beautiful titles of Jesus, this beautiful description of who he is. And this name, this title represents a pivotal point in our relationship with God. This represents a change in the way that we experience relationship with God. Because this is a name that speaks of the incarnation. This is a name that speaks of the fact that God himself has become flesh and is dwelling among us, who is spending time with us. See, for the Old Testament, 
the people of Israel, they had God's presence contained within the Ark of the Covenant. They had it with the tabernacle that they would carry around with them in the wilderness. God's presence was focused on the temple in Jerusalem. But there is a promise here. At Christmas, at the birth of Jesus, the way that God relates to us is changing. We find the presence of God not in a place or a building, but now we find it in a person. And sometimes, for me, like I've grown up in the church, and sometimes I find that hearing the same things over and over, it can sometimes cause things to become really familiar and to lose their wow factor. And so a couple of years ago, I was introduced to uh, John 1.14 in the message paraphrase. And there was something about the way that it was written that just sparked my imagination again. And I want to read it this morning. John 1.14 in the message paraphrase. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love the way that that just describes Jesus as God, but I also love the phrasing that it uses. The word became flesh and blood. Jesus has come and is living among us, but he's moved into the neighborhood. Now, this year, I've had the opportunity to move into a new neighborhood. And there is something about moving into a neighborhood that speaks of community and relationship. Because moving into a neighborhood is more than just kind of peeking out through the curtains and observing what your neighbors are doing and who's coming and who's going when. That's a level of relationship. But there's actually getting to know your neighbors. There's actually spending time with them. There's actually doing life with them, you know, you leave for work at a similar time, so you say hi. You arrive home at a similar time, so you say hi. You're putting the bins out. You know that maybe your neighbour is sick, so you help them put their bins away. Moving into the neighbourhood is also different when you have a dog. That's something that I've learnt this year. Because when you go walking the dog down at the local oval, you find a whole community of people that you never knew existed. And you talk to them and they will be able to tell you the names of all the other dogs and probably not the names of their owners, but they know who belongs to who. There is community. There is relationship. And so when we see that Jesus has moved into the neighborhood, it is something that speaks of community, of relationship, that Jesus is wanting to know us and be with us. And as I was reflecting on this idea of Jesus being with us, God with us, there was a story from Mark 5 that I wanted to share with you, that I wanted to invite you to reflect on as we consider what this means for God with us. So this is Mark 5, starting at verse 21, and I want to read it today in the PEV, just because it may be a little bit different and may spark something new in you. So let's read it. Let's read it. Thanks, Mike. 
Thank you. Uh, So Jesus and his followers got back into the boat and went to the other side of the lake. A really big mob of people were waiting for them there beside the water. There was a Jewish meeting house near there. One of the bosses of that meeting house saw Jesus and went up to him. And he got down on his knees in front of Jesus to show him respect. That man's name was Jairus. And he strongly asked Jesus to help his daughter. He said, my little girl is really sick and I think she will die. Please come and put your hands on her. I know that you can make her better so that she will not die. Jesus listened to the man and started to go with him. The big mob of people followed them. They went up really close and pushed up against Jesus all around him. And while they were walking along, a sick woman was there. A long time before this, she started bleeding and that bleeding didn't stop. She went to every doctor, but none of them could help her. She spent all her money trying to get better, but it was no good. She only got worse. She kept on bleeding for 12 years. Then somebody told her about Jesus and she thought to herself, if I can just touch his coat, I will get better. So she came up behind Jesus and she touched his coat. And straight away, her bleeding stopped. She knew she was better. We'll go back a little bit, but that's all right. So there's something about this story that is so reminiscent of so many of the stories in the Gospels. It is a story of a God, of Jesus being surrounded by crowds. Thank you. It is Jesus who is surrounded immediately by crowds. He arrives in a place and people just swarm around him. People come near him. People want to spend time with him. They want to get close to him. They want to hear what he has to say. And Jesus doesn't act like a politician. Jesus doesn't act like a rock star or a movie star where he's got his team of 12 first century bodyguards who are there to make a box around him, keep pushing people away. Jesus arrives in a place, a crowd forms, and Jesus gets right up into the middle of them. Jesus gets right up into the middle of who they are and where they are, and he spends time with them. He invites them in. He wants them to approach. And this shows us that Jesus is Emmanuel, the God who is approachable. You know, he's not standoffish, but he's someone who cares for the people around him. He's someone, thank you, tech support. He's somebody who is wanting to make time and space for the people because he cares about them. I mean, the number of stories where he looks out on the crowd and it says he had compassion for them. He cares about these people. He cares about who they are, and so he wants to know them. He wants to get close to them. And the reason I love this passage in particular is because there are two people that approach. There is Jairus, the synagogue leader, a highly respected leader, someone who was held in high regard in the whole community, who people knew who they would have seen, And I just imagine as Jairus is moving through the crowd, people are looking up and they're looking at him 
they're going, hey, that's Jairus. Jairus is going to go talk to Jesus and they make space. They let him walk through the crowd to Jesus and he gets to Jesus and he falls down on his knees. So you've got this highly respected person who is going up to Jesus. And then you've got the other, a nameless woman. In fact, I actually really hate that we don't have her name because every time you speak about her, every time you preach about her, she's known as the bleeding woman. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She had been in pain. She had been pushed to the side of society and cast out. She was poor from seeking medical help that had done nothing over all that time. There are just these two extremes of people that go up and seek to approach Jesus. And what I love is that both of them approach him and he doesn't turn either of them away. Now you might kind of go, well, of course he doesn't turn them away. It's Jesus. But the thing is, to a Jewish mindset, They had so many rules about who was clean and who was unclean. They had so many rules about who could approach God and who couldn't. If you wanted to offer a sacrifice to God, you couldn't just do that yourself. You had to go through the priests. And in fact, to the Jewish understanding, God's presence was there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, which only one person, the high priest, could go into once a year. There were these barriers and these things between us and God that meant that we couldn't approach. And while anyone could pray to God, there was a sense that if I really want God to hear, then I need to go through the right people to do it. And here is Jesus. God made flesh. The one who is dwelling in the neighborhood and he's approached by the respected synagogue leader, and the poor woman who was considered unclean, and both of them approached Jesus. And I love this because it tells us that Jesus wants community. Jesus wants relationship. Jesus is right in the middle of us, and he's inviting us to approach. But that idea of approachability, that's not what we see in the world around us today, is it? I mean... You can't just rock up to Canberra and wander into Parliament House, knock on the Prime Minister's door and go in and have a yarn with him. That is going to lead to some very bad things happening to you. And even even in our personal lives, I don't know if you guys have had experiences like this, but I've had a manager who was incredibly approachable in the right conditions. First condition, you could not approach him before 10.30am. He was not a morning person. It had to be after 10.30 a.m. He had to have had at least three cups of coffee. And then he was a wonderful human being. Before that, he grunted, if you were lucky. So there was conditions on the way you could approach him, but also he was somebody who was really helpful. When there was a problem at work, when there was something going wrong, he wanted to help. But he had a rule. You couldn't just go and tell him the problem. You had to go to him with a solution as well. You had to have an idea of this is how we're going to fix it. This is what we're going to do about it. Now, that's great when you're a manager who is 
wanting to help your workers learn how to problem solve and learn how to think through problems. But that kind of approachability we see all the time around us. You can approach me on these conditions. You can approach me when you've done some work first. You can approach me at the right time or in the right place. And yet that's not who we see with Jesus. See, so many times I've talked to Christians and non-Christians, people who feel like they have to get their lives together a certain amount before they can go to Jesus. I wonder if you've ever heard the saying, I can't walk into the church, the building's going to fall down. You know, I need to actually get a bit of a handle on this addiction before I go to Jesus. Jesus isn't going to be interested in me while I'm like this. I have to be better first. I need to make sure that my life isn't such utter chaos. I have to make sure that I'm doing quiet time, that I'm reading the Bible, and then Jesus is going to like me so I can go to him. Have you heard these things said before? Or maybe, like me, there are times when you've said them yourself. See, what I love about Emmanuel, the God with us, is that we don't actually have to get our lives together before we go to Jesus. He's already come to us first. His, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This is the God who is approachable by anyone, whether you are respected or an outcast. It doesn't matter who we are or what state we are in. We can all freely approach Jesus. You know, in, whether we've got things together or not, in the middle of our chaos, in the middle of the anger and our frustrations and our hurts, we can go to Jesus ourselves. In fact, he invites us and wants us to approach him. We don't need others to go on our behalf. We are invited to go to Jesus ourselves because he cares about us. But there's something else about this passage that really kind of stands out to me. See, this woman, all she wanted to do was enter into Jesus' physical presence. All she wanted to do was get close enough that she could just reach the edge of his coat, the edge of his cloak. She didn't need to disturb him. She didn't need to talk to him. She just knew she had to get into his presence. And then everything's going to be okay. Verses 30 to 34 say, Jesus knew straight away that power went out from him. So he stopped walking, turned around and asked the people, who touched my clothes? Jesus' followers said, there are big mobs of people here pushing up against you. Why do you ask, who touched me? Lots of people touched you. Jesus kept on looking around to see the person that used his power. That woman knew that she was the person that got better, so she was very frightened and she was shaking. She came to Jesus and she got down on her knees in front of him to show him respect and she told him her story. She told him that she touched him. Jesus said to her, My friend, you really believed in me, so now you are better. You can go home, you will not have any more trouble. You are not sick anymore. Can you just imagine this situation for a second? There is a massive crowd of people. Everybody is wanting to get close to Jesus. Everyone's wanting 
wanting to hear what he's saying, not just to the crowd. What's the secret things that he's saying to his disciples? What are the things that he's whispering? That everyone is pushing close to hear and to see Jesus. And they're walking. They're, they're pushing through the crowd because they're following Jairus to his house. And Jesus just stops in the middle of the crowd and he goes, who touched my clothes? I understand the disciples right now going, everybody? Like, it seems like such an absurd question. And yet, this is so important. See, this, this woman, she had already been healed physically. But Jesus wanted more for her. Jesus knew that there was more for her. Because he is Emmanuel, the God who enters into our life, our pain, our suffering, our joys, our world. See, Jesus knew that while she was healed physically, she was still carrying the trauma of 12 years of suffering. 12 years of being pushed to the outside, 12 years of being told that she was unclean, that she was not important. 12 years of having her hopes dashed again and again as she tried to get help from a doctor and it didn't work. Can you just imagine for a moment what that would do to your self-esteem? what it would do to your sense of identity. I mean, again, even today, we don't know her name. We refer to her by her condition, just like she experienced all that time. And so Jesus stops. And Jesus calls out and Jesus finds her. And he speaks to her. He enters into that pain. He enters into the joy of her feeling better, of being healed, of the change that she feels. And he speaks truth to her. He shows her that she is loved, that she matters right in the middle of the situation. He tells her and he assures her that this is not a temporary fix like she's experienced before. This is a full and complete healing. Jesus enters in. And the passage continues after this, with Jairus receiving the news that his daughter had died. Can you imagine the emotions he's feeling right then? I wasn't fast enough. I didn't do enough. I failed my daughter. Jesus stopped and dealt with this woman. Couldn't he have come back and helped her later? All those feelings, all those worries, all those things are going through his mind. And Jesus says, stop. Trust me. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus takes the time to enter into Jairus' world, into his life, and he brings peace and calm into that anxious situation. And they go to Jairus' house and he brings the daughter back to life and everything is great. But Jesus has entered in to what is happening. 
He's entered into their world and their life. He's right beside them in those moments. He is caring for them. He's showing that he knows what it's like. He gets it and he understands. Because this is what it means for us to have a God who is with us. It is a God who enters into our lives, who enters into our situations. It is a God who loves us in the middle of our chaos. Who, lives, who loves us in the middle of our stress, who makes space for us in the messy, uncertain, painful areas of life. You know, God isn't merely just watching from heaven, separate from us, cheering us on on the sidelines. God is with us, right in the middle, with us. He's the God who enters into our grief as we lose a loved one. He's the God who enters into that stress and that worry and that anxiety when we get the medical diagnosis that we really don't want. When we don't know what the future holds and we have that uncertainty. When we're in the middle of a situation and we have to make a decision and our brains just kind of stop working and they freeze up, he's in the middle with us. When the tension of family relationships gets too much and it all goes kaboom. When we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, when we need to take a break, God with us. When we get caught in that cycle of unhealthy habits, of addiction, of anger, of doing those things that we know we shouldn't, but we're just so tired. Jesus. Emmanuel, he is the one who enters into those spaces with us. He reminds us, you are not alone in this. You are not by yourself in this. And he stays with us. And he sits with us in the space. And I love Jesus' words recorded at the end of Matthew's Gospels. We look at it as the great commission, but it's also the great promise. Matthew 28, 16 to 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a passage that gives us a mission and a purpose as we go out to tell people about Jesus. It's a great commission, but it is also the great promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is something that gives us hope. Because Emmanuel, God with us, is not just in the past. He is with us today, even now. Emmanuel, who came and dwelt in our neighborhood, who entered into community and relationship with us. Emmanuel, who wants us to approach him, regardless of how messy our lives are or who we are. Emmanuel 
who chooses to enter into our messy lives and to sit with us regardless. Emmanuel, God with us. And so I wonder this Christmas season, as we are preparing to celebrate, as we are preparing with joy to celebrate the birth of Jesus, Where do you need to approach Jesus? What area of your life do you need to approach him with and go, hey, Jesus, I know it's a mess, but I need help. Where do you need to invite Jesus in, allow him to enter into your pain, your suffering, your stress, your worries, your anxieties, and say, Jesus, I need you to sit with me. Where do you need to be reminded of God with us today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for Advent. We thank you for this reminder to stop, to pause, to rest, to relax but more importantly, to reflect on who you are. To reflect on who this baby is that we celebrate at Christmas and who this Jesus is that we worship. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. You have moved into the neighbourhood. You have moved into community with us. You have wanted us and invited us to approach you, no matter how much of a mess our lives are in. You love us and you want us. And Lord, I thank you that you want to just sit with us in our mess. You want to enter in and bring healing. Lord, this Christmas season, help us to invite you into all those messy places, to, to bring our hurts and our brokenness to you. For we know that you are the God who heals and the God who loves and the God who makes all things new. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for these things today. In your name, amen.